Welcome to the Land Ethic Podcast, dedicated to naturalism, conservation, and stewardship. I'm Dylan Banyasco, a landscape designer and outdoorsman from Central Texas. I'm learning from individuals and organizations that are working to improve our relationship with land. Subjects may range from regenerative agriculture to ethical hunting and wildlife management. Please subscribe on your preferred app and follow Land Ethic Podcast on social media for updates, episode releases, and more. Episode 7 of Land Ethic features Taylor Collins of Rome Ranch in Fredericksburg, Texas. After selling their company, Epic Provisions, to General Mills in 2016, Taylor and his wife Katie purchased 900 acres of degraded agricultural land in the Texas Hill Country with the goal of soil regeneration. They are vocal proponents of regenerative agriculture, and they offer various learning opportunities and workshops at the ranch for those interested. Taylor and I discussed their business model, the impetus for starting the ranch, the choice to use American bison, and the ranch's hunting program, to name a few things. I think this conversation helps explain the importance of incorporating animals in a holistic land management system. Check out RomeRanch.com, spelled R-O-A-M, to learn more, and enjoy this episode. All right, I'm here with Taylor Collins at Rome Ranch. We're in, uh, I guess you'd call this the field house, Taylor? This is scout camp. Scout camp? Yeah, it's kind of like the epicenter for hunting on the ranch, and our daughter's name is Scout. Oh, cool. uh, we used to actually live in a yurt about 100 yards that way. I thought that was a sweat lodge. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, I do have a sweat lodge out here. I bet you do, yeah. It's in the other direction, though. Nice. Well, we just finished a pretty fun morning here. We did a regenerative agriculture workshop. I just wanted to recap kind of what we learned and, um, you know, the, the different programs that you guys are doing here. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things uh, that's really near and dear to my wife, Katie, and I is bringing community out to the ranch, you know, returning people to the soil, the land that they depend on, reconnecting with the animals that sustain us and, you know, full circle of life. Why does this all matter, right? And there's no more powerful, meaningful place to have that discussion than on regenerating soils on a biodiverse multi-species ranch. And so the event we had today, I mean, we brought 30, 30 people out. And I mean, we have folks from New Mexico, um, from large metropolitan cities to very rural communities, people who have been in agriculture their whole life, people who are maybe thinking about one day getting into it. And so a very diverse group of people. But um, it was fantastic. I mean, the energy was great. We just spent the day walking around, learning some really hands-on practical tools to implementing some of these regenerative practices um, on your landscape. And then, you know, afterwards had a pretty good powwow where we just kind of all sat, shared thoughts, processed information together and uh, kind of celebrated the day, which was really cool too. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was separated into four different uh, stations and so we went through portable electric fencing. We went through um, cover crops with an expert. What was his name, the guy you brought in? Lee Allen. Lee Allen. He's cool. Yep. I might have to chase him down for another episode. Oh, you should. He's a fantastic farmer. Yeah. And then we went to the um, seed drill, the no-till seeding. And then finally to the poultry station where you've got chickens, ducks, geese, and turkey. Yep. 
so I learned a lot. I'm not practicing any sort of agriculture right now, but always looking for kind of ways to, on the consumption side, be better. And then in the future, hopefully put some of this into practice myself. So it's really cool. Um, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the overall vision for Rome Ranch, what it is, your core tenants, and why you chose to get into this. Sure, absolutely. Um, Rome Ranch is a multi-species regenerative ranch. We're located in the heart of the Texas Hill Country, kind of in between Austin and San Antonio, out west where... I just love this landscape and this ecosystem. It's really specific ecosystem in Texas. It's called the Edwards Plateau region. It's characterized by um, tons of spring-fed creeks, rivers. Uh, There's a lot of elevation change, tons of wildlife, native grasses. Um, And it's a beautiful, beautiful area, tons of wildflowers. Now, one of the things that this area is not conducive for is monoculture row cropping, which has been done for the last, golly, 100 years, unfortunately, and, and in many areas because our environment's brittle, it's been hyper-degraded. Um, when we purchased this ranch four years ago, the soil had been degraded through those conventional farming practices. So we're talking about tilling, planting monocultures, spraying herbicides, pesticides, chemical fertilizers. You know, every tool that humans have created to combat mother nature had been in place on this particular property and the whole ecosystem had collapsed. The The only way this place could produce a green growing plant when we bought it was with synthetic nitrogen. Um, and so it was, it was bad, it was desertified and Katie and I thought this is a great opportunity to find something highly degraded. It can't get much worse than this. And then through proper management, through the use of livestock in a really beneficial way, um, we wanted to restore and we wanted to heal and we wanted to get this ecosystem back to a high functional level. And four years into this, I mean, I feel like this year has been our biggest breakthrough year. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we're ever going to realize the full potential of it in our lifetime because mother nature, it's just, once you put that system in place where you allow her to function at a high level, we we truly don't know how good it can get. I mean, I know you're taking, measurables and you are tracking a lot of this but a lot of it is intangible you really can't measure or qualify or quantify some of the effects that that it has right yeah some of the things that we are you know looking at that that are cool so when we when we bought the ranch we did a bird count that first year and we had four different species of birds on living on our property like what the shit four species of birds yeah (laughs) on 600 owned acres and uh, it was dominated, right? And and so by those four species, and, and now last year we did a bird count, and there's over 48 different species of birds that live on the ranch full-time. Um, we've done soil testing, yeah, started out with less than half a percent of organic matter in the soil. Historically, it should be around 8% where we're at, and um, we've been building that up to now we're at about 2%, and so that's huge change. Every 1% increase in soil organic matter you can build one acre of land has the capacity to hold nearly 30,000 gallons of rainfall. And so it's like a sponge. And so as we're increasing our organic matter, the soil biology works, the water cycle is fixed, the nutrient cycle gets better. Um, it's, it, there's a, um, a year over year improvement that we get to see, but it's been put in place through management. So at the ranch, we raise bison, uh, turkeys, broiler chickens, laying chickens, geese, ducks, 
honeybees and then we have so much wildlife it's not even funny now because <laughs> they they all want to be here they want to hang out and oh, yeah. participate in this beautiful ecosystem we're creating so where did you learn all about this i know you weren't uh this is not your background and I've heard some names thrown around today, uh, Alan Savory, Joel Salatin. Were you just reading about this stuff? You know, how did you get into this? Yeah, it's a good question. So we found our path into regenerative agriculture through food. And for us, it was how do we feed ourselves and our family and our community the most nourishing food uh, for our own bodies, but also the best food for the planet. And that was a little bit of a... A search that started in the wrong direction because when we when we went down that path, we actually my wife and I were vegans for a long time. And really? Yeah. Can you imagine that? Shit I just watched I, you hand out about a hundred pounds of meat. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. If you're like ten years ago, where where are you going to be? This would have been the last place on the planet. But luckily, we made quite a pivot in our health journey and mm. reintroduced meat. And I always say, if if Katie, my wife, was still vegan, she would be in a wheelchair by now or she would be dead and my wife is 34 years old so uh, she's young she should not be in either uh, and so anyway so we had this great food journey and we started a company called epic which was um, you know like a protein bar made out of meat and for us when we started epic it was really to fuel our own adventures my wife was doing Ironman races I was doing oh, ultra marathons wow. and we we're doing a lot of endurance sports and so we like shit, I didn't want to eat another fruit bar a day in my life. I just we were eating bacon on our bike rides, and, and so we wanted to have this like ready to go, portable, high protein, whole food ingredient that was like consistent with how our species evolved. And shit, that's only meat. Yeah. And so in this journey of meat, we said, okay, well, it's really important for human health that that animal was raised in an environment that it was biologically intended to and it eats a diet that it was evolutionarily intended to and we thought that was the secret recipe but we neglected the fact that if that animal is not raised on land with healthy thriving soil that neither the animal can be healthy nor the in consuming human can be healthy so, so that you started was, sourcing that protein and realizing that you needed to start doing it yourself yeah well soil was the missing component and that's that's what a lot of ranchers and farmers weren't considering mm -hmm. you know everyone talks about grass-fed pasture raised but grass-fed and pasture raised is just like organic can be commoditized it can be industrialized and so you have to go beyond that if you really want to do right by your own health and by the planetary health you need to focus on soil health because that's where it all begins and that was kind of the introduction to alan savory in the savory institute he did a ted talk which um it's pretty revolutionary you should watch it if you haven't seen it it's alan savory ted talk and i mean in this talk he argues that uh, cows and ruminant animals have the power to save the planet through that positive proper animal management and impact mm. and so it's just like holy shit <laughs> something's going on here dig a little deeper and we just visited hundreds of ranchers through our epic sourcing journey with that, the epic brand and we just said if we ever have the opportunity to do this ourselves we're going to do it we're going to double down we're going to accelerate this movement we're going to participate in it at a bigger level and so that's how we kind of found out ourselves in this position you kind of went backwards it's uh it's interesting but i love that and so where were you where were most of the ranches when you were in that position sourcing meat for epic uh what states were you going to, you know, I know you had venison, bison, 
chicken, you know, all sorts of different meat. Where are you getting it from? All over. Yeah, all yeah. over the country. Um, I mean, Epic grew now to where there is one Epic product sold um, every 10 seconds in the United States, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. I and mean, we, that's, so that's a lot of meat and more meat than we can produce here at the ranch. Yeah. And so we source primarily bison from Colorado, from the Dakotas. Um, you know, we're the biggest buyer of grass fed bison. And so, and that's the thing, you know, so everyone thinks bison is grass fed by nature, pasture raised, but truly only 10% of the entire North American herd is grass fed, grass finished. And so that's a very small supply chain that Epic set out to grow. And then, you know, as a continuation now at Rome Ranch, we're also actively trying to grow that. So what's your involvement now with Epic? I know you guys sold to General Mills a few years ago, right? Yep. Um, are you guys still heavily involved? No, okay. we, we're still involved with the brand in the sense that uh, we are the spirit animal of the brand and help guide <laughs> any innovation and wisdom that is asked upon us, but that company is way beyond our capacity to manage and frankly would want to be managing. And so it's at this scale where there's really talented people in place now. And we're just sure. kind of sitting by, it's like, it's like having a kid, watching that kid grow, you're taking care of it. You're just like doing everything to make sure it's successful in life. And then that kid goes off to college and you're like, oh shit, I hope this goes well. It's out of my house now. Yeah. And we're past the college phase. And so uh, it's, it's, doing great and we're really proud of it you kind of brought this marketing brain it seems to ranching in a new fresh-faced way i think that like i spoke with uh duke phillips of Ranchlands in the first episode and it was a similar situation where i'm like you guys have beautiful graphic design wonderful marketing a really good sort of public facing program in terms of outreach and education can you talk about that side of the ranching and why that's so important for a multi-species multi-species regenerative ranch? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. I mean, even at this event today on kind of the round table powwow part, you know, we had uh, one of our guests kind of say, hey, I'm having a hard time selling this regenerative concept. Like, how do I do it? How do I, what's the 45 second hook that gets people to understand this? Right. And, and we, we had a really good conversation about that. But one of the things we didn't mention is branding, like you said. I mean, and we learned that the hard way because when we started Epic, I mean, we were putting basically it was a, a jerky in a bar format, shelf stable. And so, you know, we're sitting across from the global buyer at Whole Foods and we're saying this is what we're going to do. And dude said, absolutely not. I'm never going to take that. Sounds gross. Don't do it. Guy was <laughs> vegan. So let's forgive him a little bit. Yeah. But regardless, he's like, this is shit. This is disgusting. Um, we came back three months later, same pitch, but we had a beautiful package, a beautiful brand. And he said, I want that immediately in every single store in the United States. So that was like wow. this learning moment in our journey, in our life. That doesn't matter what you are doing or selling, any business that you're involved in, you got to invest in your, your branding and your messaging. Yeah. And we're also really passionate about that. I mean, my, my wife and I love creating brands. We love creating content. And so it's fun and it's natural for us. But uh, it's definitely, it should be your first dollar spent whenever you're starting a ranch um, or any business, any consumer facing business for that matter. You need to just spend uh, the first part of your portion investing in branding. 
I have to tell you a secret. When I was uh, starting this podcast, um, I was working on logos, and I looked for your graphic designer. Um, I wasn't able to connect with, I think I found her name, but I wasn't able to connect with her. But I was like, if this person is doing freelance work or anything, like I want the person that did those illustrations on the epic bars because I just love it. It's so, um, it's got a historic kind of vibe aesthetically, uh, just a beautiful, I, I'm struggling to find the words for exactly how I feel about the, <laughs> about the label there. What do you, what are your thoughts on it and how did you help design that? You know, yeah, what absolutely. Your, what your goals? So, I mean, when you're in the market and you're competing in a crowded segment, uh, which God dang protein energy bar segments, pretty freaking crowded, right? Yeah. It's really colorful. How do you stand out? Well, the first thing you can do is <laughs> put an animal on the front of your package, right? No consumer will ever skip that and miss that. And so that was really kind of the thought is how to break apart and differentiate such a different idea and a different product. But then what even went more deeper into that decision, which was very, con it was counter to conventional wisdom in, in marketing. You could have hired, you know, $100,000 agency in New York or LA to come up with a brand for a product like that. And they yeah. would have said, you're fucking crazy if you want to put a living anatomically correct animal in the package. Consumers don't want to see that. Consumers don't want to know what they're eating. Mm. But we said that is not right. Consumers need to be aware. They need to show reverence and gratitude for the animals that sacrifice their lives to nourish our bodies and to heal our land. What better way to honor that animal than put an image of that animal on the package so it's right there in your face. Yeah. If you're offended by that, well, good luck in life. You're going to be offended by about everything. Uh, so kudos to you for whatever, but, um, but yeah, so that was the decision and that was probably the best decision we ever made as a brand. And again, you know, it's kind of like going, following your instincts, trusting yourself and not relying on experts and getting bogged down in market research, just fucking yeah. do it on the, the marketing side of things. I do want to talk about the bison they are an extremely powerful marketing tool for you, it seems, just because of their charismatic nature. But when you guys talk about them, it's almost like you're describing them as architects of the North American environment, which is how I've been thinking of them today. Um, talk about sort of the, the function they have on the ecosystem and why you chose bison and not cattle. Yeah, sure. Well, um you know, historical counts of North America suggest there was 40 to 60 million bison uh, migrating from Canada all the way to northern Mexico, up and down the United States. And like you said, I, I think that's a beautiful word, architects. These bison co-evolved with our lands, with our plants, with our soils, and they truly are the architects of the most fertile lands that the world has ever seen. These large herds would come through, they would be very dense in their concentration uh, for protection. There would have been predators hunting them. So they were tight as a species, tight as a herd. Um, they were always moving from that predator pressure as well as if you have 10,000 bison together, well, pretty quickly they're gonna exhaust their resources and they're gonna foul the ground with manure and urine. So they're always gonna be incentivized to move. Um, when people talk about mimicking nature, um, that is the system that we're trying to accomplish. It's 
frequent moves with high density and then sufficient adequate rest. So you get that positive animal impact. You get things like this, the hoofs of a bison, they're spade shaped. So they actually chip away at compacted soil, which allows seeds that are dormant in the bed, the opportunity to express themselves and to germinate. Bison have hundreds of thousands of seeds in their coat, on their hoofs. So they're always moving, increasing biology, increasing biodiversity, stamping down old litter, organic matter, they'll poop 50 pounds a day. That poop is cycling nutrition back into the soil to feed biology, make everything in that system work at a higher level. And so for us, we wanted to do bison because they are the keystone species of North America. It's funny because when you package bison and you sell bison, you actually are required by the USDA to put a little triangle on your package. And you can look at this on any bison that you buy. And that triangle is an exotic species triangle. What? <laughs> Beef cows are circles, pigs are circles, chickens are circles, but bison and then like, um, you know, it's like so deer backwards. and yeah, it's funny, like maybe wild pigs. It's what they consider exotic, but these are the native large mammals that evolved in North America. And so, so they just get lumped in with anything that's not traditionally domesticated. Yeah. Huh. That's not, um, industrialized, right. And farmed. And so the bison, their ability to positively impact our landscape. When we bought the property, you have to imagine it had been 150 years since bison had been removed from this landscape, but it had been thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years before that, the bison did participate and collaborate in the landscape. And so what happens when you take a keystone species off the land? Well, shit doesn't function right, falls apart. Everything is connected in nature. And so for us, it was really exciting to return bison back to the land, let them reach their full biological potential and see what that could do for the soil, for the ecosystem, for the ground nesting birds, for the pollinators, the insects. I mean, everything that's connected. Yeah. I, you guys do a great job of communicating what you're doing and why you're doing it. You have this set up to where you can show. Last time I was here, you had the rainwater infiltrator uh, demonstration set up. I think that seems to be a really important part of your approach. Is that is that just part of your philosophy, the outreach and the education, or is that part of your your business model and your revenue? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's it is hard surviving as a small ranch or a farm in the United States. No one's getting rich doing ranching, whether it's conventional industrial agriculture with chemical inputs or if it's regenerative grass-fed multi-species. And so, you know, we look to Mother Nature for wisdom and guidance, and you've seen that today. You saw that last time you came out. We're all about biodiversity within the community below the soil, biodiversity above the soil with plants, with animals, with wildlife. And so our businesses should be designed the same way. And here, you know, we, we have multiple streams of revenue. We diversify ourselves because right now the bison industry is like at an all time low. And so, really, Oh yeah. Oh, oh boy. Bison. And it's not a good day to be in the bison industry. Why is that? Um, too many people in the game, frankly, no, what happened was, Ted Turner. um, Ted Turner. Yeah. <laughs> that guy owns like the entire herd in North America. Yeah. But what happened was there was uh, this consumer demand for bison that exceeded the capacity of what animals were on the land. And uh, so everyone went into this frantic mode within the industry to grow the herd. The sole focus was on growing the herd because you could sell a live animal 
to a new rancher or a rancher that wanted to make more animals, you could sell a live animal for way more money than you could processing and butchering that animal. So no one was selling animals to be butchered. Uh So the meat was scarce, but consumers wanted the meat. They wanted the meat. And so it was like this weird economic flow. Hmm. But right now what happened was that that went on for five or so years and business was good. And now there's too much meat in the market. It's exceeding consumer demand. And so the price of the meat has been depressed to an all-time low. um, And now live animals have been depressed to an all-time low. But again, you know, that's kind of like a monoculture mindset. And we think... Conventional agriculture, you think monocultures, you think row crops of corn, soy, peanuts, wheat, you know, but animal-based livestock systems can be monocultures too, right? Like when was the last time you went to a, a ranch that typically, you know, if they're a pig producer, they sell pigs. They have 100,000 pigs if they're a big player. Um, and so we want to diversify. So at our business, we sell, you know, all those different species I had mentioned, but we also have community events which you came out to today, super fun. We have an Airbnb on the property. We have two Airbnbs. We have uh, an amazing hunting program that we were trying to get you <laughs> into, but man, you just missed the sweet spot of the year. It's Let's talk about what happened there, there. Yeah. With, uh, oh boy. with the hunting program. I was That's a good story. hoping to come out and do a hunt with these guys. I thought maybe turkey, maybe um, we settled on, on maybe an axis deer hunt. Tell me about your axis herd and why we didn't end up hunting. <laughs> yeah, holy smokes. Okay, so one amazing benefit of being a regenerative ranch, it's kind of double-edged sword, every amazing animal in your county will smell your regenerating nutrient-dense soil, and they're going to jump over every fence they can to get to you, which is badass because your wild game is incredible. But then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh boy, I'm feeding way more mouse than my land can carry. So then that's where hunting comes into play. We don't have any large groups of predators anymore in Central Texas. They've all been long gone and eradicated, unfortunately. And so we hunt in a way that strengthens the population uh, of wildlife, but also strengthens the health of the soil. And so we don't trophy hunt out here. We hunt for sustenance, for food, and we hunt really healthy animals. So we have this great program, especially in the winter. Everything else in our county shuts down because no one's really growing cover crops. Everyone tills their fields, it's bare soil. And we have a freaking food forest, as you saw today. I mean, it's like, yeah. holy smokes. Is it all spot and stock? How, what's the hunting like? We do, uh, for Axis, it is very much old school spot and stock. We oh. do some night hunting, uh, thermal hunting, but you'll never hunt an Axis under a feeder in a blind. It just doesn't happen that way because they, uh, they're grazers. They're kind of like bison. They're not browsers like the native whitetail. They want grass. They want green growing grass. So they could care less about corn and grain and whatever. Hmm. So yeah, so that hunting program has been rocking. And then when this crazy freeze happened before Valentine's day, uh, this past year, that access population was wiped out. I mean, we think we think maybe 70% of those animals got smoked and they froze to death. Um, I counted 140 dead axis alone on my property. And, um, you know, the most interesting part is observing where they died. Not a single animal died in any of our cover cropped regenerating fields with little to no bare soil. But 
a shit ton died in degraded fields, farm fields, neighbors tilled fields, or under uh, cedar trees where there's a lot of bare soil. So sorry, the deer population <laughs> got smoked right before you came out, and hey. we had a couple hunts before you, and they just uh, no no one was successful in harvesting an animal, and it just didn't feel right to keep bringing people out. Yeah, I mean, well, we also want to do what's best for the herd, of course, and for the overall health of this ecosystem. So I got no problem, you know, um, not hunting or not fishing if if the spot's not right and if it doesn't need the pressure. Um, but what is your your overall management plan in terms of Obviously, Axis, Axis deer are exotic here. Um, how are you managing them versus whitetails? The rest of your property, the non-ranching part of the property, uh, what's your philosophy there? Yeah, we, we've had um, Texas Parks and Wildlife come out and help us do deer counts so we know truly how many animals are living here. And it's, it's, un, it's ungodly. First of all, the the biology of the deer are messed up. There's, uh, you know, should be in a, a healthy population. The male to female ratio should be pretty equal. Um, but right now, I mean, it's 10 to one does to bucks. Wow. And so that's a really important part of our management plan is to bring down the number of does. Uh, we don't need that many does. Does, if you want to control population, you hunt females. Um, if you want to hunt trophies you hunt males if you want to hunt the best tasting food i would argue hunt females yeah um if you want to hunt the biggest animals you hunt older animals but you're kind of compromising it's give and take and so with the axis program because they are not native here every four axis is equivalent to the grass intake of one bison um, okay at any given point in time we have about 400 axis here so that's like if we had a hundred damn bison added to our property, which if wow, you, yeah. you said, Katie, Taylor, I'm going to give you a hundred free bison today. I'd say, please, God, do not. <laughs> we don't, we can't carry that. You many already animals. have what? 150, 125 right now. Okay. That's yeah, always, but we have 40, 45 pregnant. So we'll have a bigger herd, nice. um, but we're still doing, you know, we do bison field harvest whenever people, whenever like the wild life is not at the appropriate time for hunting. But that's a critical part of our ecosystem, and we try to we fill up every single tag that the Texas Parks and Wildlife gives us a year. We get to hunt a, a month earlier and a hunt later in the season, and so we do a pretty good job uh, filling the freezers. Awesome, yeah, I love it. I think um, maybe we'll be able to connect next year for a hunt. Uh, I'll come oh, back to Texas and I'll, I'll hit you up and see if we can do. It. I still haven't been able to hunt an axis. Um, that's one of the the big goals especially because they are exotic i figured i could find an opportunity before i leave here but uh you know like you said they just got hit so hard by the freeze um but let's let's go back to the the ranching operation i do want to kind of pick your brain on regenerative agriculture in terms of if you're starting up at a small scale or if you're trying to move your family business away from intensive monocropping or traditional methods and practices and you're you're starting to read uh, some of the same things that you guys read what is the way forward for a small family business and how can they replicate some of these practices without making an enormous investment you know yeah what are your thoughts on that absolutely it's it's all contextual it's all based on your region um, we're in a brittle environment that means our humidity is low we uh we get 30 inches of rain a year here well it's 28 inches 
which is not bad. But the thing that's frustrating for us is, man, we can get eight inches of that. It's not uncommon in two days. Yeah. And so we just get these massive rain events and then it's dry for three months, four months. Right. So that's what makes it brittle out here. But how, you know, the changes that you would start from a brittle environment versus a non-brittle environment is very different. Um, but you know, the, the first thing universally you have to change no matter where you are or what your context is, is, is your mindset. And it's, uh, it's thinking differently. It's thinking about collaborating with nature. It's thinking about mutualism, synergism, competition. It's looking at your pastures. It's seeing what's growing. It's seeing what your soil is telling you and what your wildlife are telling you. And, um, and then it's making decisions based on that. And a lot of these decisions that we've made have moved us in a direction where our input costs are so small, which is great because yeah. If you make a big transition from conventional industrial to regenerative, well, I hate to break it to you, but you basically nuke the biology, which is the fuel in your soil for all life above that. Plants, animals, you've done a lot of damage to it for however long you've managed conventionally. And you can't expect that to operate at a high level once you take things away. So the first two to three years is tough. You gotta hang in there. Your input cost will be significantly lower, but your profits or your revenue is also going to suffer. That's why it's important to diversify starting okay. off. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that. That came up in the roundtable discussion, the, the profits side of things and how to argue for the increased cost of, of meat or farm goods um, in a regenerative system. The way I think about it is in the intensive system, there are externalities that are not being factored in environmental externalities and the same way that that happens with fossil fuels it's like we're subsidizing this we just may not know it until a few generations later when our soil is completely degraded or you know our uh, our atmosphere is beyond the point of return so you know to to me it's a non-start it's a non-argument but what would you say to someone who is worried about their you know that bottom line and saying, well, my, my customers won't buy, they'll just buy from someone else. If I start charging them an extra, you know, whatever percentage for these goods. Yeah. I mean, back to kind of something we already covered, but yeah, it's, it's branding, it's storytelling, it's being able to successfully communicate why your regeneratively raised product is more important, how it's better for the consumer, how it's better for the animal, how it's better for the land. I mean, the list goes on. So you have to be able to successfully articulate that in a way that it resonates with the consumer. But you're right. I mean, the external cost of conventional meat and plant-based agriculture systems is it's charged to the environment, but it's also charged to our health, right? I mean, it's astonishing how many uh, Americans are now obese, uh, the cancer rates that continue to rise. Uh, and then, you know, things like infertility, I mean, all of this is at a trajectory to where we're in a big problem. We're in, we're in dire straits right now. And so agriculture is the most destructive industry on the face of the planet that's ever been hum- invented. When you really boil it down, there's mm. been over 20 global civilizations. So we're talking powerhouses like the Greeks, the Romans, the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Persians, the list goes on where these 
large civilizations grew and then they extracted their natural resources through agricultural practices to the point at which they could no longer sustain themselves and those societies collapsed. Well, this is our first time in, in history that we're a global civilization. We're doing the same damn thing. We're on the same trajectory and people don't recognize that. And so, I mean, we're at the brink of a global collapse. Now, as far as the true cost to meet and how you kind of justify that, it's funny because we talked about it today. You know, Americans will buy craft coffee beans for God, $18 a pound. They'll buy bottles of freaking herbicide laden wine for <laughs> shit, $40, $50 a bottle. Um, and then, you know, the list goes on. Like everyone's obsessed with their vitamins and minerals. Like supplements is the most profitable industry for anyone to be in with the margins if you're a company. It's interesting. And, uh, and so we're okay with paying for that, but we're not okay with paying for high quality meat. Now, that's where it gets weird because. If you even think about a Snickers bar, uh, go to your gas station. This is not made up. It's unfucking believable what you're about to hear. But look at the shelf and look at the price per ounce. It has to be displayed. It's it's a regulation uh, requirement. So it'll say the price of that Snickers bar, and then underneath it in some really small print, it'll say how much that is per ounce. And that Snickers bars is contributing to <laughs> again obesity to metabolic dysfunction, to a slew of other problems, it's more expensive on a per ounce basis than regenerative grass-fed bison, beef, Mm. lamb, sheep. And so the cost per ounce, we're okay with paying for Snickers bar, but we're not okay with paying for protein. And, And then you break it down even further, and it's like, what other food has more nutrition packed in it on a per ounce basis than animal based foods that were raised in these regenerative grass-fed environments. Shit, I challenge you, I, I don't know what it would be. And I don't know if you were, like when you were a kid, if you ever played that game where you say like, hey, you, you, know, you hang out with your friends, and you're like, hey, you're trapped on a desert island, or you're trapped on an island for the yeah. rest of your life, and you, you could pick one person, who would it be? And you're like, I don't know, like some supermodel or something, some like, <laughs> are you my best bud? And then you're like, well, what if you had to eat one thing? You know, it's like, if you really thought about that, you'd be a fool not to pick some kind of meat based product because you, you would so? wither away. <laughs> Absolutely. You would, you would, you know, you might, uh, enjoy the taste of whatever sugary ice cream you pick or, yeah. uh, but it would not sustain you. Did you see that season of alone where the guy kills the moose that have you seen that show? Yes. I love that show. Okay. So I this- did not ever see anyone kill a moose. What? Okay. Badass. Spoilers. Holy smokes. Uh, this guy, Jordan, Beast something mode. or other, he he kills a moose with his self bow, like a stick bow wow. or something, or maybe it was a recurve, but um, it was incredible. And then he's he's having issues actually though because he's still losing weight like crazy because it's just he's just eating straight protein. He's not yeah. getting enough fat, oh, so he's boy. like, oh, I need to store this fat and and eat it slowly. Mm. So then a wolverine comes along, steals the fat. And then he kills the Wolverine with the bow. It's like the most (laughs) badass thing I've ever seen. You got to see this. That is so interesting. It was interesting in in terms of like, I really thought he killed a big animal. This guy's going to win. He's, he's good, but he still couldn't sustain his body weight on just 
the lean protein of the rest of the moose. He needed that fat. That's interesting. Yeah. You're so right. Again, look to nature. That wolverine knew. And if you look at a pack of wolves that harvest an elk or a moose or a bison in Yellowstone, I shit you not. The first thing that they do is they break open the abdominal cavity and they eat the organs. Mm. Uh, they could care less about the prized lean cuts that civilization prizes, like tenderloins. They don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And this is how indigenous cultures ate long before us. And so it's, it's again, yeah, like I guess I should clarify, if, you, if you're on an island, don't pick the damn tenderloin. You want the, <laughs> the fatty the bacon. brisket yeah. or the bacon <laughs> or liver or, you know, heart or something like that. That, that is the true superfood, not, not kale yeah. all day. I'm all about organ meats, uh, liver, heart. Um, I'm right now feeding my dog liver and heart from wild hogs, mm. partly inspired by you guys. We were a little bit worried because we had heard that dogs shouldn't eat pork, but they shouldn't eat essentially domestic shitty pork. They should be eating wild meat. Um, but let's talk a little bit about sort of the future of Rome Ranch, your goals for the property and as a company. I think there's a bit of a maybe a misconception that you guys are trying to return this land turn the clock back and return it to something pre-Columbian. Is that the case or are you focused on a different version of, of this, of this land? What are your yeah, goals? That's a good question. You know, there's this romantic notion that before Europeans arrived, that, uh, North America was in this like perfect state of harmony, uh, in nature with indigenous cultures. And that's just, not the case. It's like every single circumstance and where a human is involved in an ecosystem, it gets degraded. And that's why way before Europeans ever, um, you know, created modern agriculture and plant-based agriculture systems, there's been numerous extinctions of all the megafauna and we've had species lost for thousands of years directly related to human overpressure and hunting. And, and the way that people would settle, so indigenous groups, is they would come to a place like Rome Ranch, they would live here, they would extract the natural resources to the point at which the land could no longer sustain them, and then they would move again. Hmm. And so that's not necessarily a beautiful example of harmony that's romantically pictured before Europeans arrived. And so land has been mismanaged, um, Species loss has been happening for thousands and thousands of years, but now it's at a bigger scale because civilization is huge and we have technology and we don't move around anymore. We just stay put. Uh, so we don't want to see it go to that. We want to see Rome Ranch specifically defy everyone's wildest dream of what the potential of Central Texas is. We want people to come here and say, holy shit, am I in Africa? Uh, or am I in Ireland or Greenland? What is this? We want, we want to feel like you got kidnapped and blindfolded and thrown in the back of a car. And then like, if you woke up in one of our fields, you'd be, you'd think you're in another country. And, and for us to get that way, we really have to improve our soil health. We want to get to 8% organic matter, which is just unheard of. We'd probably be the only people in this type of context within mm. a couple hundred mile radius that have been able to return to that. And who knows what that would unlock too. Uh, and that's the thing, like for, I mean, just an example, a square foot of soil 
could have 20, 30,000 dormant seeds in it. And those seeds are just waiting for the right biological signal to trigger it to wake up. Right. And, uh, you know, like if we're low organic matter, soil's compacted, a lot of bare soil, little soil carbon, little biodiversity, those seeds are going to be dormant forever. And so it's like year over year as we're building that system to get to a higher secession level, more stuff starts to happen. So, I mean, man, I, I would love to see, I'd love to see a mountain lion living out here. That would be the <laughs> shit. <laughs> if we just had like, you said you had seen a few in yeah, the past few years absolutely. in person or on camera, uh, on camera wow, and our neighbor yeah. saw one in person two weeks ago. Cool. And so that's a great, that's a great sign. Uh, yeah, we had, my folks have, um, Valley Mills Vineyards up in, uh, it's not in this Texas Hill Country, it's up in Valley Mills, Texas, near Waco, and we think recently that a mountain lion took one of our goats. Wow. We, some people heard the commotion, and then the next morning there was a track that someone identified as a mountain lion. I haven't positively identified the track yet. Dang. I'm not confident enough to, but it was some sort of, some kind of cat. Crazy. Um, yeah, so that's cool. They come around from time to time, and um, there's a great conversation with uh, Clay Newcomb, uh, part of the Meat Eater Network, where he's talking about mountain lions. And essentially, the adolescent males, when they get kicked out, um, they'll wander for as long as they need to to find a suitable territory where there's females. So if there's no females, they'll just keep going. Dang. So, like, I think it's totally possible that they can spread out and be successful. They just need space, and they need viable habitat and, and females. So... Um, Maybe you need to bring in a female mountain lion, and then oh, uh, all the dudes will. <laughs> That's the trick, huh? Just have a uh, a female. We'll give her the cave. That'll just give you more work, though, <laughs> managing predators here. But then, but then we won't even have to move our bison. Yeah, we'll just let the uh, the mountain lion scare them. We thought about that when we bought the property. Like, what if we just put high fence everywhere and we just introduced a pack of wolves out here <laughs> like how much easier would our job be we wouldn't have to build all these temporary electric fences encourage the bison not to be in one spot too long because if they were those wolves would pick up on it pretty quick and they'd ambush them it'd be a cool study oh man else. you know the neighbors would uh would love that we'd yeah. be very popular in the community well you talked about people the history of disturbance and i think that really ties in well to the the whole theme of this podcast is about land stewardship. Um, Aldo Leopold, who the namesake is sort of an homage to his work, he also said the oldest task in human history is to live on a piece of land without spoiling it. And I think you just really touched on how that is, um, you know, has, has proliferated throughout not only North America, but for all time, we've struggled with this in terms of not completely extracting not degrading and there are way more bad examples than good examples but i think you guys are setting a good example and i, I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and taking the time to talk with me today yeah absolutely been an honor to have you out thanks for coming and seeing this place uh, change over time too it's got it's got to be cool for you to like you know we're, it's like us watching the grass grow every day you don't see change as yeah. dramatically but it's it's neat that you get to come back holy shit look at this place yeah. wow yeah i think i mean just seeing it from in two different seasons now kind of a few months apart uh it's a big change you've got this beautiful cover crop coming up and um yeah it's awesome so i hope we can reconnect in the future 
Um, maybe next time I'm in Texas, I'll look you up and oh, try to do. come out again. Yeah, we'll fill up your freezer with some Axis. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. The Rome Ranch trifecta, Axis, uh, white-tailed deer, and wild boar. Oh, man, I'm in. Get it. I'd love to do some thermal uh, hunting for pigs. I've never done that just because of the cost of those scopes. That happens. We have one that we uh, we, we have a thermal rifle, uh, AR-10, that we just do one night hunt at least with every one that comes out here. That's super fun. Yeah. Well, Taylor Collins, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations on your success and your uh, impending second child. Yeah, okay. second. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Awesome. Well, it's been nice having you. Thanks for coming out and sticking around. All right. Thank you. Yep.